Welcome, City Church family and friends. Um, we've been uh, going through this series that we actually just started last week. Uh, if you're not familiar with our church community, we uh, spend some significant time opening the scriptures and uh, thinking about our God and who he is and what he's done and why that matters. Um, typically, the way that we do this is we take a theme, a topic, one of the books of the Bible, and uh, we consider it for weeks on end. And uh, last week, we started this series that we've titled Hope Fully. It's kind of a play on words, a little, little bit of a joke, but also very serious. We recognize that like, this is a time where we, we really want to dig into and think about how we live in uh, what St. Augustine called the already and the not yet, which is Jesus rose from the dead, so we live in light of the resurrection, but yet we're also living in a chaotic and kind of broken world. And so how do we live in there? So the reason for this series is uh, questioning, thinking about how you know we live right there. So last week we talked about what it means to be human. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about really what it looks like to live as humans, but within the created order that is also broken. Um, and by that, we really mean what it means to live in light of the reality of suffering. So uh, we want to take you to Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, um, we'd love for you to, to be able to turn there. Also, um, we haven't expressed this um, at the beginning of our sermons, but we have in previous videos. But we'd like to today to acknowledge uh, communion for for just a quick second, if uh, if you can grab elements for communion, would love for you to be able to pause or you know have somebody in your family run to the fridge and grab some grab some juice, grab some crackers or some bread, uh, because uh, we really want our focal point to be this table. That uh, every week from here on out, us gathering together and and uh, considering the teaching pointing to this. Um, that's going to be Jim's prerogative today as he does the majority of the teaching and I do most of like the sort of interviewing. But uh, if you can grab elements, this is going to be really like the central point uh, of our gatherings for the next several weeks. And so again, Romans 8, if you have elements for communion, definitely grab them. Um, that's where we're going to be. So I'm going to pray and then uh, I'll pass it to Jim. And like I said, I'm going to be playing more of like an interviewer role He's going to be doing the majority of the teaching. So um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you, for, um, thank you for the time that we're able to gather together, that uh, we can actually open the scriptures with each other, that we can pray together, that we can sing together, that we can, even if not in person, see faces, hear voices, and um, engage in... Uh, what it is that your spirit might want to do through the scriptures, but also in and through us. And uh, we ask that uh, you would help us to give ourselves to whatever that work might be, that we wouldn't um, harden our hearts, but rather we'd be open. We'd be willing. And so uh, soften us. Let us be here in the way that you are here, and we know that you are here. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You ever have one of those bad days? <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a bad month <laughs> or a bad year. Um, you know the kind of days you have where the kids are screaming and the bills are piling up, and you know your job perhaps is in jeopardy or you're not working, uh, and maybe you're, you 
know someone who's been infected with this awful virus, uh, that's a bad day. I came across something that I thought would put a smile on your face, maybe a smile of identification. Uh, a bricklayer put in leave, a request for sick leave, and this is what he wrote. <laughs> when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane knocked some of the bricks off the top of the building. So I rigged a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted some, a barrel full of bricks at the top. And when I finished the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and I began to release the rope. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was. And before I knew what happened, I was, the barrel pulled me off the ground and I couldn't let go because I was too high off the ground. And halfway down, I hit the barrel coming up onto my shins and sustained, uh, I should say, the barrel came down and hit me on the shoulder. And I sustained uh, some damage to my shoulder from that. Um, and then it, I continued to the top and hit my head on the beam and jammed my fingers into the pulleys. And when the barrel hit the ground, the bottom broke open and a lot of the bricks fell out. Now I'm heavier than the barrel. <laughs> I started down at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received several injuries to my shins. And when I hit the ground, I landed on a pile of bricks, receiving several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the rope. <laughs> and the barrel came down really fast and gave me another blow in the head that put me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> now, that's a bad day. Uh, and sometimes we have little bad days, you know, little things that bother you. It could be, uh, you know, the line and the other checkout is always going faster than the one that you're in. Or, um, uh, you know, you wax your car and it rains on it, that kind of thing. And sometimes it's bigger things, right? Uh, I can tell a story about back in 2008 that... Uh, uh, I worked for a company and they, they laid me off. I, I, I worked as a recruiter, I'm bivocational. I worked as a recruiter and uh, if you remember in 2008, uh, we had the stock market crash and the housing market caved in and, and you know everybody kind of lost their jobs. Well, I was one of those and maybe, maybe you remember that because you were one of them too. And I lost my job and I was driving home, you know, after getting laid off and yeah, feeling just rotten and lousy. It's raining out and yeah, I just felt really depressed. I stopped at a stoplight and a bird, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, bombed my windshield. Now, it uh, wasn't a, a little bomb, right? <laughs> he must have evacuated all of his intestines because it just went all over my windshield. And of course, you put the windshield wipers on and it makes it worse, you know, swinging back and forth. And I just sat there and shook my head. This is not fair, you know. You ever feel that way? Um, I mean, that's a bad day, right? Have you ever had something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want <laughs> I've got stories, yeah of, yeah, of birds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but we're going <laughs> to... 
this this passage is it's so serious. <laughs> um, we're entering in on a light note, I think, on purpose because yeah. it is so serious. So uh, I want to take you to Romans eight. We're going to start in eighteen, um, and it is very serious. So, <laughs> um, but if you do have those stories, like let those let those stories kind of, you know, be in the back of your mind as we consider these things, because um, uh, I think the scriptures have something to say to us about living in light of just difficult circumstances, whether they're as extreme as, you know, the first story that yeah. you mentioned, or even the simplicity of a bird, whatever, <laughs> all over your car. Um, so it's good to enter in lightly, but it's also a very deep passage. So right. let, me, let me read this for you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Yeah, um, it is a serious thing uh, to suffer, and we're kind of making light of it. So I was kind of making light of it, but you know, sometimes it's to call in the middle of the night. Or it's a broken relationship that kind of resembles Humpty Dumpty, right? You can't put it back together again. It falls apart. Or it's the lump in the breast. Uh, perhaps a parent that's dying. Or just the fear and anxiety of, of a virus that could kill you. Um, those are serious things. And uh, Paul in this amazing passage speaks to the hope of the glory that we have for those of us who suffer uh, legitimately, who suffer incredible pain in this world. If Romans is characterized, if I can characterize it as a gold ring of the New Testament, uh, Romans chapter 8 would be the diamond on the top of that ring. And why? It's because he speaks of the life in the spirit. Romans 7 is about 
the defeat that we, we struggle with in terms of our flesh and our desires. Romans 6 speaks of the identification that he's provided for us in Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, it's all about the life and the spirit. Uh, we're not going to be able to touch on all of this, this chapter has to say, and I encourage you to dive into this on your own. As a matter of fact, this passage, we're not going to get too terribly deep in it. We could be here all day. Um, but we want to talk about uh, what, what is this hope? And how does this hope help us? And he gives us three ways in which it does. First, he says that um, this hope helps us in suffering because the prospect of glory that's going to come. Uh, number two, it, it tells us that this, this hope helps us now in our lives because of the intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit. And the hope that we have um, helps us now in regard to the, the complete plan of God that he has for us. Those are big subjects. And, and I hope they, they just flood your life today in regard to the, the provision that God's provided for us in, in this chapter. So let's dive in. Let's look at this, okay? So in verses 20, uh, 18 to 25, we see the Apostle Paul's kind of assessment of, uh, of our issues and our problems that we face, right? So look at uh, verse 18 with me. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So uh, the first word he use here, uses here, he says, for I consider. Now, that's a word that he used in chapter 6 and verse 11 to speak about uh, the consideration of your identity in Christ. It's an accounting term, right? So what you do in accounting, obviously you have your, your, your liabilities here, <laughs> and then you have your assets on the other side. Um, and what happened, what Paul is doing here is he's saying that, that we need to add up all of the assets that, that we have in the glory that's to come. And it's not even comparable to the debt and the issues and the suffering that we face now. Now, Paul certainly had a pretty good list of uh, difficulties and, and, and uh, how shall I say, bills to pay, if I can say it that way. He, he was uh, beaten a number of times. He was thrown in jail. He was shipwrecked. He went without food. He was persecuted. And the list could go on and on. And I'm kind of curious, what would you add that if you were to make that list for yourself, what would that list look like? What would you list there of, as the things that, that, that are liabilities to you, that you're suffering now? And what Paul is saying is, list that out. Then turn the paper over and look at the glory of God. Look at what uh, the glory of God is all about. And it's not worth comparing in regard to what you're suffering now. And he goes on to explain and kind of support this by talking about the creation's expectation of this glory. He's kind of supporting it, right? He's supporting the value of this glory in the midst of our suffering by talking about the creation. And he does this in verse 19 through 20. 22, actually. 
for the creation. Now he's going to explain why it's not, uh, not even worth comparing, right? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage uh, to its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I want to pick out a couple of things here for you to, to think about. He's personifying creation, right? And creation is an anxious longing for the re revealing of the sons of God, for the hope that's out there. Uh, this word is a very strong word. It has the idea of, of straining the neck to see a race as you would at a racetrack or something. Um, I like what Phillips, how he translates this, J.B. Phillips. Good, a good paraphrase, by the way. Old one, but a very good one. He says, standing on the tiptoes. Uh, the creation stands on its tiptoes to await the revealing. And it stands there for two reasons. First of all, he says, because it's under the curse. It's futile. It's empty. It's, um, it's struggling with its, with, its, um, with its futility. And number two, it looks forward to be set free. Um, and he says that in verse 20, 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and its corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here we see to support the idea that, that what we're suffering now isn't, isn't even comparable to what the glory is. We have the creation that's longing and groaning for it. And now in verse 23 to 25, we see that the expectation, our expectation of the glory of God as well, to support the idea that it's not worth comparing to it. He says, we too groan. Look at this in verse 23. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, very emphatic phrasing there, uses two words just to say the same thing, right? And it's thrown at the front of the sentence in the original language, emphasizing that we're part of this as well. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. I think he's kind of implying that if you think the Spirit and the way he works in our lives and energizes us and gives life to us is great now you just have the first fruits of it because the glory that's coming is going to be far greater in terms of our access to God and in terms of the the flourishing of the glory of God through our lives he says we groan inwardly all this there's a lot of groaning going on in here <laughs> so it's uh it's uh, we're groaning uh, for that anticipation and that, and knowing that we will be delivered, right? That's what it says in verse uh, 24. For in this we hope we were saved. Um, and so the idea of the salvation here is not a eternal salvation. I think he's speaking of a, a deliverance from the suffering so that we might see the glory to come. Um, my wife uh, and I, like uh, Karen, likes to 
we like to watch uh, murder mysteries, right? And, uh, <laughs> and I like the suspense of it, but uh, Karen likes to, to know the ending. So she is completely happy with knowing how all of the things are going to turn out in the end. And I said, how can you like that? You know, the idea of a murder mystery is you, you don't know where it's going, you know? And he said, nah. He says, if I know the ending, I enjoy it better. And that's, I think, what Paul's getting at here. He says, we know about the glory to come. That it doesn't compare to the sufferings. That, that the Spirit of God is the first fruit of, this things, of these things. And we're being delivered in hope of that glory. And so therefore, uh, the hope that we have, um, we will realize it's better than our past. And it will have an impact upon how we enjoy and how we live life now. So Paul applies this uh, in verse uh, 25, right? He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Uh, the idea here is patience is perseverance. Um, we continue on because we know where we're going. Um, and I, I think of a story of uh, some missionaries that, that, that I heard of the story about. They were on an airplane coming home from over 30 years on the mission field. And they had some uh, very fancy dignitaries in the front and first class, a very famous person, and, and I don't even remember who it was. They, they said who it was, but they, uh, as they landed the plane, of course, they had a red carpet out for the dignitary, and the, and the person came out, and there's flashbulbs, and they were watching this, and everybody's greeting them and hugging them and walking them with all handshakes and so on. And, and then these two missionaries got out, and he looked at his wife and said, you know, 30 years in the mission field, you think somebody would, would welcome us home, you know? Someone would be here. And his wife turned to him and said, we're not home yet. That's what Paul's driving at. That while we might look at this world and we might see the value uh, of, of the things that happen around us and in our lives, um, and we might grown with anxious expectation that things would change. Um, we're not home yet. Like I said a couple weeks ago, it's still Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? So um, that's where we are. It, it, it's the idea that, that, the, that the hope and the glory of God uh, isn't worth comparing to where we are right now. Yeah, so, you know, when, you know, I hear, I hear you say all of these things and they're, they're good things. They're good truths mm -hmm. that um, we, we Jesus followers are able to take in and, you know, we hear probably on like a week to week basis, especially as it pertains to Jesus rose from the dead. He went through suffering and he rose. And so we're all, going to rise again um, but the reality is we live in this world that is it's broken, it's fallen it's difficult mm -hmm. and so it can almost seem kind of trite to say hey, everything's going to be okay at some point mm -hmm. um, you and I were just talking earlier today about funerals that we have yeah. 
we've overseen and how difficult it is to you know interact with family members and friends and yeah often how trite it could seem to just say hey they're in a better place um there's there's obviously more feeling more emotion more just reality to the situation and so um even though everything you said is true mm-hmm. how do we how do we take that truth and not just let it be something yeah. that is pie in the sky? Yeah, yeah. pie in the sky, <laughs> heaven when we die kind of thing. But actually think about it today and yeah, and actually like mm. let it be true in in a way that is not just practical but like really grabs hold of us and mm. lets it like motivate us, lets yeah. it strengthen us and encourage us, you know? Yeah, I can imagine you're all saying that right now. <laughs> Believe me, I've I've been there too, and uh, I'm not about just shouting platitudes at people. Uh, I, I and Paul isn't either, and that's what he goes on to talk about here. He gets very very practical. So let's look at this beautiful uh, section again and see you know what he's actually saying. That's really kind of comes down to where we live, right? Look at the uh, what in verse 26 and 27. We find hope in suffering, right? We find hope because of the, because of, uh, the glory that's to come. But now we find hope when we rest, when we depend upon, when we just sort of let the Spirit intercede for us. This is marvelous. Look at this. Likewise, now likewise referring just like everything else that's, that's been said, the Spirit helps um, the, the, the present tense there, it's a present tense. It has the idea that he continues to help. It isn't one time. Sorry, you ran out of your help for today. It's all the time. In our weakness, the weakness there is the idea of lack of insight. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've gone through trials and just, you just scratch your head like, what in the world is going on here? You know, you don't have any kind of idea. But he intercedes um, in our weakness, doesn't necessarily say that we're going to gain a lot of insight from it. That's not the promise. We don't always figure out or it's revealed to us why things happen the way they do. That's not always promised to us. Sometimes it happens. A lot of times it doesn't. For we do not know. And so here, here it's kind of, let me see if I can break this down uh, for you a little bit so it's a little bit clearer because he puts a lot of stuff on top of each other here. Um, when does he pray for us? He prays for us in our weakness, okay? When we have no ability and no insight about what's happening to us. Why does he pray for us? The last part, because we don't know how to. Notice this, he says, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Um, So we don't know how to express this deep groaning in our life. But the Spirit of God does. And now, how does he pray? He prays with groaning. <laughs> it's, it's used three times in this passage. It's used of creation. It's used of me and you. And now it's used of the Spirit of God. And it's used of another significant time. It's used in Jesus' life. When he was at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11... You remember that, how he, his best friend had passed and, and, and he groaned within himself? And of course, we know the result of that. 
He rose him from the dead. And notice the result of this, of this intercession that the Spirit has in our life. Uh, verse 27, he says, And he, and I think God is, is the subject here, who searches hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit, second person, uh, the third person of the Trinity, right? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the result is that our prayers that we don't know how to express, our suffering that we can't put our arms around, are known by God by means of the Spirit who intercedes for us. That's an amazing uh, promise. Yeah, so we hit on two huge, hugely important things. And like you said, there's, we could be here all day unpacking <laughs> this passage. It's one of the, like you said, if, it's, if there's a ring, this would be the diamond on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, chapter eight is just so, so significant yeah. and special. Um, but we, we hit on the prospect of glory, the prayers of the Holy Spirit, yeah. uh, two super important things to help us understand and get through suffering. But there's also, within this passage, something even more broad. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, even more helpful, which is the plan of God. Yeah. What, he's, what he plans to do in the grand scheme of things especially in light of what he planned to do in the very beginning. And so, um, yeah. can you speak to that for a second? Yeah, he, he, you've noticed that he's getting broader, but he's getting very specific about um, how this works in our life. And now look at this in verse 28. Uh, he moves into uh, the plan of God and how the plan of God uh, brings us hope in the prospect of of glory. Okay. Uh, verse 28. For we know, it's a very familiar verse, for we know that the, that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now most people stop there, but he tells you what the purpose is. He says, for whom, uh, for those for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, oh boy, predestination, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now let's see if I can kind of put this together for you because it's an incredible, incredible promise. What he's saying here is that we have hope and suffering if we recognize and rest in the sovereign plan of God for our lives. First of all, there's a certainty around it, right? We know. It's not written like, you know, maybe, if, uh, I think. It's, we know that, that God works these things out. Now, the subject of it is those who love God. An interesting condition he puts on it. Um, of course, I think that people who suffer and don't like God and have rejected God, walked away from him, I don't think they'll be able to see his love, his concern, and his plan in their life because they're basically in anger and they're uh, turning their, turn their backs away from him. And by the way, suffering can do that to you. It can either bring out your strengths and your desire for God, or it can crush you and, um, determined that you were going to walk away from him. Of course, that's 
the, a lot of that is, is your choice, right? Uh, now, the scope is that it's all things. Not just uh, the thing that uh, you like, uh, not just part of what you're going through. All things. It's not some of these things. He is about um, working together all things. And the, the harmony of it is that he works these things together, right? And the benefit is, is good. They, he works them all together for good. Now, not all things are good. Um, sometimes I hear Christians talk about that. Thanks, God, for the suffering. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you. And it's all kind of awful bad things. <laughs> God isn't the author of evil. He can't be. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he's tempted by God, uh, tempted, that he is tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted to evil. He's not in the process of throwing sickness upon you and then saying, okay, I'm going to help you get out of it now. That's just working at cross purposes of his plan, right? Um, so the idea is that, that God is sovereign. Uh, God has a plan. Now notice this, the sovereignty here, the predestination is to not salvation. It's predestination to conformity that he might conform us to the image of his son. So there's a plan that God has for your life, right? That, that he is conforming you to the image of your son. Does that mean you don't have a choice? Does that mean that God does everything? No, of course not. Uh, Paul wouldn't be writing this letter if God did everything. Uh, obviously, he doesn't do everything because there's the idea that there's got to be a cooperation between what you do, how you respond, and how you interact with the spirit. This is the whole subject of the spirit, uh, a spirit of God in this chapter in your life. And how you cooperate with that determines some of that outcome. Now, it certainly does not mean that God isn't sovereign. Those things are... are um, are both true. Uh, God has a plan and that God is also interested in our response uh, as he conforms us to his son. Now that's this predestination and sovereignty. You know, people get, you know, that's why I made a joke about it. People get all nervous about it and upset. Oh boy, you know, predestination and God. You know, we should find, Paul here says, we should find comfort with that we should uh, be comfortable, comfortable with the fact that God knows everything about us. That he knows everything that we think and what we do. That's a form of hope and of dependence and trust and love because he cares for us. I mean, those, those kinds of subjects, I found some people get really nervous about sovereignty and they, they feel like, you know, they have to figure this thing out or it doesn't compute. Or what happens is they take sovereignty, right? And they take the cause that we have and they slap them both together. So that predestination, God causes everything. <laughs> and reality is, is that the scriptures don't teach that. He doesn't cause everything. He doesn't cause evil. He can't cause evil. 
And I hear some of that, not here, but I hear it in other places that this idea that, that God is, you know, throwing this plague, this, this virus, coronavirus on, on us now because, you know, he's judging us. First of all, pretty arrogant to assume that you know why this is happening, number one. And number two is now you're assigning God evil. And therefore, now he's in the process of trying to get you out of it. You're working across purposes. He's working across purposes with himself. Yeah, so... I don't want to get too much into teacher mode because I'm interviewer here. It's fine, man. It's fine. But um, yeah, the, there's there's a couple things that I would bring up, which is um, and and I could see the questions being raised. Um, those whom God called, He also predestined. You know that there's a there's a lot of questions that are raised in that passage for sure. But uh, to your point, I think yeah, what what Paul's doing here in this passage is not so much about what it means to be saved in an eternal sense as much as what it means to live in light of being saved, yeah. which has more to do with living in freedom that God has provided for us. So I think that's what's going on in the passage. But I think um, in terms of God's sovereignty, I, th I think we should also think about um, the way in which God operates with his sovereignty is probably not the way in which we would think about sovereignty. And what I mean by that is just, just go back to the garden. The, the very first thing God does with his sovereignty is he gives it away. <laughs> so he gives it to Adam. And the first thing that he asks Adam to do before he even gives him a wife is he tells him to name the animals. And so did God control the naming of the animals or did he give away the control for the naming of the animals? Um, and clearly he gave away the control. Yeah. So when we're talking about God's sovereignty, it, it shouldn't be so much in terms of controlling as it is ultimate control. So when he's working all things together for good, we can see this in the cross, right? Yeah. That even though God was in control in a broad sense, um, he did not make Pilate make that decision. Yeah. He didn't make Herod uh, or the chief priests or any of the people in that mob make that decision. He didn't make Peter or Judas make those decisions that they made, um, but yet they made them. And yet all the while, God was working all things together for good, which is, it, it's, it's what we often describe as mystery. And yet it's how God has chosen to work. Instead of puppet mastering, he's decided to, Almost like a parent, right? Yeah. I mean, if Very any of you are like parents, you're, you're in control of your household in some sense, but you're not puppet mastering your children, right? <laughs> you say, I want to let you go and be and do and flourish, um, but you also don't, again, make them do every single thing that you want them to do because that would, it would just produce, again, like a, a sort of puppet thing. Yeah. So there's something going on here where God is, he's, uh, he's allowing creation to be what it is. And yet at the same time, there's going to be a moment in which he brings everything back, just like he did in the resurrection of Christ, yep. that makes it look more beautiful than it even was. Like yeah. who would have expected that Good Friday would lead to Easter Sunday? Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense. It boggles our minds 
And that's the same as what we're thinking about today. And I know, that, again, that yeah. might sound really trite. I don't no, mean to make it that right. way, but that yeah. is like we're living in brokenness. Absolutely. And, and, and we should not uh, deny that either. <laughs> don't deny the fact that we suffer or they're not human beings. Um, this passage, isn't it amazing? Uh, that we have hope in the midst of suffering because of the glory of God is incomparable to anything that we're going through. And because the groaning of God, the groaning of the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And the goodness of God is conforming us to the image of his son. This is all in the midst of, some, uh, of suffering. And we see the greatness of God in his plan for our lives. If you notice, it began with glory and it ends with glory. Let's read the last verse for you because we don't have time to get into it. But those whom he predestined, in the same way he's talking about predestination before, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, where he began with glory, he ends with it. So uh, I'd like to close with a story from my, uh, my professor at uh, Dallas uh, Tony Evans, he also was a pastor at Oak Cliff the Bible Church, and he told this, this story um, of his wife uh, when they were returning to Dallas uh, from a vacation. They were at LaGuardia Airport in New York, and they were standing in the checkout line uh, to sort of check in at the curb and get on the plane. Well, the line wasn't moving. It hadn't been moving in a long time, so finally he went up to the checkout uh, guy there and asked him what the problem was. And the checkout guy just looked at him and said, no power. Uh, the airport's going to close really soon. So you better find some other accommodations. So, um, so what he did, see, you, for you see what happened, uh, he was traveling on August 14th in 2003. And it was the Canadian blackout that went down the Ethan seaboard. Uh, and so New York was in the dark. So he got on the phone with his personal assistant. I know, Anthony, you have a personal assistant. I've got two. Uh, yeah, he's got two and personal assistant. <laughs> Come on, Tony. You know, give me a break. Anyways, he's got a personal assistant, right? Hold on. That was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke, of course. Of course it is. Um, I know Tony Evans, so, I mean, uh, he would be smiling now. And, um, and he said that this personal assistant found one room in the uh, Plaza Hotel at LaGuardia. Now, he could afford a Plaza Hotel. I can't afford that. But he found one room left there, right? So when they got there, they walked into the lobby in candles, with candles all over. Um, and they checked in manually, handing, handwriting in candlelight. And they were led to, the, <laughs> to their room with a flashlight. So they got into the room, and of course the air conditioning wasn't on, it was August, and so his wife went over and, and opened up the window to try to get some of the cool night air in. And she looked out, and across the street at the Marriott, all the lights are on. You know, people are dancing, they're eating food, and, and laughing and talking, and it, they're sitting there going like, what? So as he says, it's just inquiring minds wanted to know. <laughs> so they went across the street, and he found the assistant manager, and he said, um, how can there be light in so much darkness? And the manager turned to him and said, it's very simple, really. Uh, we have a power inside 
that's not dependent upon, we have a power inside the hotel that's a gas generator that um, generates all the power. And so we have power inside that's not dependent upon the circumstances outside. Oh, wow. There's the truth right there, isn't it? That, well, let me say it again. <laughs> the, the assistant manager said, we have the power inside that's not dependent upon the circumstances outside. Now, I don't know what you're going through today. Um, I, it might be something small. It might be something, a whole bunch of small things that are getting, really getting to you. It might be some big things that we talked about that really are uh, getting into weather. Let me introduce you to the hope of the glory of God. For you see, if you notice in this passage, <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You know, sometimes it's all these commands. Yeah, there's, there's nothing there. We, we just have to relax in it. We have to relax in the fact that the Spirit of God is going to intercede for us. We have to relax in the fact that that's what's going to come is going to be far greater than what we're in now. Um, Hope is the treasure in the midst of trials. It's a joyful expectation of the future, right? It says that we are going, it's going to be better than our past because of where we're going, which will help us in our present time. Tomorrow is going to outpace our yesterday and today by means of the hope of our future orientation in the glory of God himself. Pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's what brings us to the table. Yes. I think uh, one of the most, um, and, I, and I've said this before in sermons, but one of the most amazing pieces of, of information that was ever brought to my attention as it pertains to the death and resurrection of Jesus is that after Jesus rose, he still had the scars in his hands and in his side, that he was able to go to his disciples and even say to Thomas, who was doubting Thomas, which let's give him some credit, we probably all would have doubted as well. <laughs> um, it's kind of a sad scenario for him, but <laughs> he still had the scars in his hands and in his side. And why would the resurrected Jesus in glory, we're talking about, have scars? And Clearly, it's because those scars were now made into something that is glorious. Mm. And that might not seem glorious to us. It seems counterintuitive. It seems as if uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. How, how can scars be made into something that would exist in the afterlife, if you will, you know? And yet here we have Jesus with holes in his hands, his feet, and in his side. Um, as we approach the table and with everything that we've thought about today, and again, I don't, I don't mean to, to be trite, and as Jim said, we don't want to minimize anybody's situation, circumstances, and especially if there's deep suffering. Mm. Um, but we do want to acknowledge that we're, we're people who get to live in light of the reality of a story of another human being um, who took on suffering hmm. in ways that probably none of us ever will. 
deep betrayal, uh, denial, um, exile, uh, physical pain. And yet when he, when he rose, he did so with those scars and is more glorious now than he was even before he took on those scars. So we can look back to the garden, right? And see that, you know, Adam and Eve and humanity in that time and place lived in beauty and order. And uh, we long for that, for sure. But what we're going back to, or what is going to come, I should say, is going to be far more glorious. Because everything that we think of right now as being catastrophic, chaotic, destructive, he's actually turning into goodness and beauty. And I have no idea how exactly he's doing that. I don't think any of us really do. But just the same as what happened in the cross, so our lives are also being turned into that same kind of beauty. So so we turn to the broken body and the shed blood uh, of Christ. And so if you have these elements with you, um, I would invite you to engage with us. Yes. Um, we're going to play a song. And as we do so, um, take the bread. And as you do, be reminded that the bread uh, Jesus took, he broke in that upper room right before uh, he was arrested, tried and crucified. And he said that it was his body broken for us. Um, he took the cup. He said that... Uh, this was uh, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin. These things have to do with our, our communion with him, right? That we're, we're reconciled to God, that, yeah. that our sin no longer keeps us distant from him. But also he said that uh, this is the reconciliation of all things, that he's, he's pulling it all together. And uh, he was doing in his broken body and shed blood, and that he said... Uh, as long as we do this, we're not just proclaiming what he did in the past, but also what he's going to do in the future. That is, he, he is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to get rid of all death. And uh, that we're going to live in a place and uh, rejoice in that place um, with eating, with drinking, with dancing, with, uh, with love for each other. And so we long for that. So, uh, Take this, take this bread and this drink in light of that, in light of that hope that uh, all things will be made new. Um, so...